0: Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Lauren Sarah Hayes, a live electronics improviser based in Arizona. Lauren's got this setup that she's been building upon and tweaking and expanding over the years that enables a very bodily interface with improvisation and electronics there's a lot of spontaneity a lot of play surprise struggle it's exemplified in her new record Embrace on Super Pang four tracks it's a slippery thing rhythms are ricocheting all over the place little bits of voice are wedged in the gaps things are accelerating spiraling out of control Lauren sounds like she's snatching these sounds back again as they try to wriggle free like massive electronic fish she's a very kinetic and mobile performer if you watch videos of her playing online and I think that comes through on Embrace as well you can imagine the physical counterpart to this release being some sort of frenetic euphoric dance so it's no surprise that we do speak about drum and bass raves being a big part of Lauren's life throughout this interview. We also talk about heaps more. She picked a really eclectic three album selection here. So there was so much to talk about and such a treat to dig into Lauren's music as well. So you can go to LaurenSarahHayes.com or LaurenSarahHayes.Bandcamp.com to explore her music I also recommend checking out a really cool suite of articles that was written on the Huddersfield Contemporary Music Festival website as well I'll include links to the show notes to that and then head over to attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening for more information on her picks and all those links I just talked about okay thank you as always for listening Really appreciate all the lovely feedback. And please enjoy this new episode. This is Lauren Sarah Hayes on Crucial Listening. Hello, Lauren welcome to crucial listening hi thank you for coming on the podcast so you're here to talk about three important records before we get stuck into your picks I want to ask a few questions about recent activities uh, including a release called embrace which came out in February on super pang so The release mentions, it's got a bit of text on there, uh, the fact that the tracks were all improvisations recorded this year and it came out in February, so I'm guessing the whole thing came together incredibly quickly. What did the process for putting these tracks together look like? Like, what do the recording recording sessions look like?
1: Yeah, so everything I do is, is improvisation and it's all about exploring what can happen and specific combinations of sounds and technology and spaces and sometimes with other people um, so this this album did come together very quickly actually it was it was a result of working for the last couple of years actually with a, a research group um, in Huddersfields at the University and they've been uh, creating some new code and software. That works in a variety of creative coding environments uh, for decomposing or splitting up layering sound in uh, all kinds of novel ways and also machine learning. Mm. And I've been working with them. I was actually commissioned to do a piece for them as one of the first artists using this software in 2019. So, this, this uh, Super Pang release was a, a kind of opportunity to put all this stuff together with my improvisation system, so I guess I've built this this uh, instrument that, that is a kind of mashing together of, of hardware and software that I've been building for many, many years. There's voice processors, drum machines, analog synths, I've got a variety of controllers and this software that keeps growing and evolving. Hmm. Um, and it's it's really sort of ecological in design, so I control it all with this games controller. Uh, uh-huh. so I'm really interested in the sort of live physicality of of how I can manipulate and sculpt sounds, but it's really unpredictable. It, it will throw up uh, unexpected uh, things. So some of the tracks on on the release are uh, pretty much just straight improvisations. I work a lot with microsound and, and something called pulsar synthesis but I was also working with this new machine learning software from this group called Flucoma or fluid corpus manipulation so it was my kind of first foray into working with like official machine learning techniques oh, cool. um, yeah so I'm, I, I sort of feed in some of my existing improvisations um, as the material and then I'm kind of dividing that up and and looking for similarity between little chunks of sound and then i created a kind of new instrument from this so it's sort of like remixing my own improvisations and then i perform that live um so it's a kind of improvisation on an improvisation i guess like aided by by this machine learning but yeah very very new to me
0: (laughs) yeah amazing so this new machine learning i'm intrigued as to how you found it when you were first working with it like was it immediately clear to you like okay I can really make good use of this or you know what did that first acquaintance look like?
1: Yeah I think when you have like a really established process and and this instrument that's been you know evolving over so so many years then to add something new is is really difficult um Mm -hmm. so I found it quite hard to know where to start with it I think the possibilities that it can open up um you know for for me as an improviser it's always about you know what is the stuff that's going to be interesting for me to to explore to come up with new combinations um if I go and work with collaborators like what can this throw up between us what can we produce together um so there's so much that I can see in this that that um can lead to like really interesting possibilities I think it's going to be a really long time before I really find what I want to do with it Um, so this is me like trying out some of these ideas I was working with something that's called knn or k nearest neighbor so it's looking for the similarity in sounds and i'm really interested in this as an improviser as well i'm thinking about what well, in my electronics like how similar is the stuff that i play from like gig to gig right. and, and, um, <laughs> you know maybe this is like an improv lie detector test and i can like, see what i'm repeating myself so, wow. so maybe it's gonna like push me into some new areas oh
0: that's so cool um i mean that brings me on to something actually that i've seen you talk about in reference to your live practice and also some other of your records as well as this presence of unpredictability within what you're doing and as you mentioned there you've got a setup which I guess is something which has a a, a base that you're familiar with and you're adding in new elements which can uh, I guess bring a certain new energy but is it easy to straddle that mid between saying okay I'm gonna bring in something new to try and make these things wriggle out of my grasp a bit but also I want to um feel like I have some kind of control over what I'm doing is there a, like a mid-ground there that you have to consciously strive for when you're working on expanding your setup
1: yeah I think that the word control always comes up and, and it came up like one of my old titles, I, I did these pieces in the past for prepared piano and live electronics was called Control um, I think I'm always trying to find this, this playful space, like it's like building a playground that I can explore that I can navigate um, that can throw up these new things now of course that means that I do of course have some control when I'm I'm doing a set. It's not it's not so unpredictable to the point that things are going to break or, you know, <laughs> just go into like complete silence or stop working. Um, mm. and I I'm really interested in, you know, yeah, I'm using these like new machine learning techniques in, in this newer stuff, but there's there's so much from the kind of history of cybernetics and working with feedback and working with like this play between chaos and stability. I think mm. all these things, there's there's so much to explore in, in so many ways. Um, and some of the stuff that I do is like just setting up, you know, very simple relationships between things that can lead to interesting results or complex behaviors. And then I see the relationship with, Space in the same way, and and uh, the relationship with with other performers in the same way as well. Mm. They're all, you know, parts of this ecosystem that that we create uh, through the specificities of of the relationships between who's in the room, and that includes the audience as well, and what space are we in. You know, what are the acoustics of the space or or maybe what's the cultural significance of the space and and what are we creating together um, through this kind of set of circumstances?
0: In fact, as well, I've seen you use a phrase that I really liked, which was the... Was it you who said it? Maybe it was someone paraphrasing (laughs) you. Anyway, I liked it. Um, This idea of incorporating effort or palpable struggle into your setup. So I guess, like when you talk about playing with other people or being in a certain space, I guess there's a certain pushback you're getting from those other elements, right? But tell me about incorporating effort or powerful struggle into yeah. yourself I love that idea. <laughs> that was
1: me <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah I mean I think this This, you know I, I was trained on classical piano from a young age I you know learned how to be musically expressive on this really huge instrument i was four when i started learning so it's you know it's very physical um it's very difficult in a sense to to learn how to um become good on on um an instrument like that takes Mm. many years and then yeah when i first started working with electronics and you know i've said this many times but but this like I'm going to press a button or move my finger in a trackpad and and trigger something or hear like these really powerful sounds but not feel that um mm. physical connection to the sounds that I'm making and like a lot of electronic music software I think can allow you to work in that way and you know I always say that that if you haven't you know had a, a background on acoustic instruments you might not miss that physicality right mm-hmm. um but because like my musical history is so tied to this and and then you know over many years I was started learning guitar and playing in all these really loud punk bands and things um you know physicality became yeah such an integral part um of um how I make music and and also with the piano the sense of touch as well and I was playing piano for singer songwriters over the years like in my 20s and people would always comment on how they could hear like my sense of touch in the playing Hmm. um so I think when I'm working with with live electronics I'm trying to find ways to bring that into the, the instruments that I'm building or the controllers that I'm working with or, yeah, working in an interesting space that, like, you know, I, I did um, some shows in Hamilton Mausoleum in Scotland as part of Sonica Festival yeah. years ago and it has this, like, massive 15-second reverb and it was, you know, it was amazing to get to do it but it was so incredibly difficult also because I do a lot of, like, really kind of frenetic beats and rhythmic stuff and all of that was getting muddied in this massive reverb which of course I, I I knew um so yeah trying to kind of play with that yeah as a as something to push back against I find all that stuff really interesting
0: one other thing I want to touch on before we go into your records is mini how do you say this I should have checked beforehand <laughs> Uh, mini Mini saviour opt opt.
1: yeah it's an anagram i'm not gonna give it away
0: (laughs) cool um (laughs) that's a new tape released by unsilent desert press uh, in arizona right yeah Um,
1: tucson based label
0: nice and uh documents a performance at huddersfield contemporary music festival in 2017 now that was four years ago now (laughs) i have to check it's been a long time. do you have any memories of that performance like what are your recollections of it
1: oh yeah I mean that that for me was real kind of pivotal point in in my practice um I was invited to uh, take part in the international showcase um and this was a, a commission that they actually wanted to be longer and like making the kind of music that I make <laughs> to have like really long sets i think can be pretty challenging both mm. as a performer or for audiences um so it was about 23 25 minutes um broadcast live on BBC radio so it was yeah it was it was a massive challenge and a, a huge opportunity i think that gig was really affirming in a way um of my practice that um you know i always have been really ambivalent about releasing records actually uh, uh-huh. as an improviser you know like it's always a process it's always something that, that's becoming and to have something fixed and and solidified on a recording i've always felt quite awkward about that so
0: yeah.
1: and also to separate the music that i make from you know i move a lot when i perform it's very physical people always comment on that they, you know they ask if I've choreographed my movement or my feet, <laughs> which of course I haven't at all. Um, so to do yeah, so to do a performance like that on radio as well, I think was a um, real kind of challenge, but also really eye opening to see that that this kind of performance could be understood through a medium like that, removed from the physicality and the the visual element of of my performance and that physicality
0: there's one question actually that i wanted to ask before you go to your records and it touches on that which is how do you make the recorded format say in the context of this record embrace how do you make that format palatable is not the word that i want to use but (laughs) something that you want to work with as an improviser as you say there are certain elements which are lost that you can't get mm. back so how do you make working within you know a, a format of a record something that you that you want to do I mean it I should say at this point as well I haven't said it yet it's an incredible record it's amazing <laughs> that you. it's taking place within a format that you know I, I, I know you have had a certain ambivalence to but I absolutely love it but yeah I'm intrigued Thank to how you approach how you approach records in that sense
1: good question um I think it's it's still a challenge for me. I guess you know, COVID has been an opportunity to to explore this a bit more. Um, not that I've had like huge buckets of free time, um, right. but I guess, but I guess because I wasn't playing shows um, and thinking about, well, okay, I can, you know communicate things about my music in this format so there's something to explore here and I think also with the the kind of new software and the new techniques that I'm I'm working with um, having these like shorter little chunks, so some of the tracks I think are like six, seven minutes, so still you know kind of medium length things. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's it's just become a kind of interesting space to explore. So I don't think I have the answer to that question yet. I think I'm <laughs> I'm still I'm still exploring and, and feeling what feels comfortable to me and what is interesting to me in it. Um, but yeah, I mean it was a great label to to put something out with. There's some amazing artists on it mm. and. it has been really exciting
0: yeah it's really cool label and people should definitely check out embrace i'll include a link in the show notes uh lauren let's talk about your three important records and actually one question that i like to come in with first is to ask about how you thought about the term important when you came up with your list so was there a way that you thought about that word important to produce the list of three records that you did
1: yeah, definitely. So, I'm um, definitely not my desert island discs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of these albums as important. Yeah, not necessarily as favourite albums, mm-hmm. or even you know, as a sound artist being connected in that way. But maybe more as these influential moments or or ways of experiencing sound and music and. How I grew or evolved as a musician over my whole life. So, like, I've got this combination of New York City girl punk, UK early two thousands drum and bass, and nineteen sixties avant pop. So, somewhere in that, there's there's a story that I'm I'm trying to tell here, and it was I was yeah, it was a really difficult um, challenge. I was like, I'll do like i'll do a scottish trio of like the shaman and the klf and sophie but that would just be too predictable so i've gone from this <laughs> yeah so yeah like i think there's 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 a, a narrative that i can draw out of these
0: okay wicked i'm excited so <laughs> let's get stuck into the yeah. first one you did tell me the order we're going to go in. i've forgotten we'll
1: which go with record lunar chicks,
0: <laughs> lunar chicks. excellent <laughs> yeah. jerk of all trades so yeah. why did this one make the list
1: so yeah, this is this like nineties New York punk bands. They you know, they they said they weren't riot girl, but they were kind of just like living these punk lives out of school in New York and they were kind of, you know, really feminist without saying that they were just uh, in in what they were doing and in their lyrics and I saw them play at the Barrowlands in Glasgow when I was sixteen. Wow. Um I'd gone with some friends to see The Offspring. I had no idea who Lunachix were. Uh, and, yeah, just... I was just, like, seeing them on stage. Something something completely clicked. I saw the singer, Theo Kogan uh, wearing this huge blonde wig and several layers of false eyelashes and a Barbie t-shirt and a tutu. And I just completely fell in love. And it was it was this kind of, like, just deep identification of how what was possible as a performer. I was playing in school bands. I was really into, like, grunge and punk-inspired bands, always with guys at school. And, um, yeah, just seeing on stage this kind of, like, over-the-top blend of femininity and grotesqueness and drag and this queerness and performativity. It was, like, just amazing. And I... Just still remember that that moment and how she was using physicality and using costume and presence in the performance and um yeah so so I guess the album itself like is maybe not as important as as seeing them, and this album came out around that time I think it was like one of their first kind of major breakthroughs though, though they they sort of never quite got the recognition that that people uh thought they should get right um and it's it's interesting they've just had a bio out and I was kind of nosing yeah. through it. Yeah, and uh you know, there's a lot of um discussion about how the the performance was all about sort of dealing with mental health and dealing with uh like disguising and and hiding behind all these layers of of mass and performance which i think is is really interesting and Mm. you know and then i was playing in in bands through my 20s playing in punk bands and, and later a ska band and also a blondie tribute band and and sort of yeah this this kind of performance and and costume was really important through that and i really think playing in those bands is is how I learned to perform even in the kind of work that I do now which could be seen as so different but I, I really see such a link to it
0: yeah I mean what has your did this have like an immediate impact say you went to go see this gig you saw them play I mean when did it start to kind of translate into something that you were thinking i don't know when, when did you when do you feel like that you started to really bring the energy of Luna Chicks into into what you were doing
1: mm, i think i think in my like punk ska band and this is you know this is like in the early 2000s um we started a seven piece band with with one of my school friends so yeah i mean after seeing Luna Chicks, i was you know trying to drag all my school friends to to, to play with me <laughs> and start bands and um And then, yeah, a little later, um, in the ska band, it was really about completely, you know, dressing up and very high energy. I mean, to the point that, you know, I was jumping off the stage into the crowd. And I mean, even, you know, we'd start playing and there were times when like the seven piece was not, together at all i wrote all the material pretty much and and everything was super loud and super fast and you know sometimes we'd start playing and we'd all be completely like out of time with each other (laughs) and we just look at the crowd and you know everyone was just going wild and and jumping around and yeah that that energy i think kind of really came out in in that in those few years and it was I think it's a really interesting thing to to play with as a performer to be aware of and And there's something in that that translates into what I do now, even though the audiences are are definitely (laughs) not, not moving as much as they used to, which I really miss. And I think when I'm talking about physicality and performance, I, yeah, I'm still thinking about, you know, I like now I have all these wires and everything's a little bit precarious. But, you know, of course, there's ways to to think about that and to explore that I'd like to to look at.
0: Yeah, nice. Do you mean in terms of you as a performer or in terms of how you bring that energy to the audience?
1: Yeah, I think I'm just thinking about, like, participation and what can technology do within that sphere, that it's that's not this separation, right, between audience and, and people mm. on stage. And, of course, there's many artists that, that play with that um, in interesting ways. And I think... I think that you know, in those punk bands, it's like a lot of that is dissolved in this physicality, yeah. where you are physically blending with the audience. Okay, so one project I did a few years ago, like I've I've worked over the years a lot with with hat tech technology, which is technology that allows you to, to explore touch and feel in relation to sound. And, and there was a piece I did in uh, collaboration um, with a somatics expert and dancer and choreographer, Jessica Ryko. And I was actually using haptics throughout the audience to like
0: oh wow. play
1: sound, but also to send different vibrations and sensations through the audience. So that's like one, you know, kind of like foray into doing that with audiences that I've explored but it it's it's really difficult and and mainly because yeah. of technical limitations and wires and, and all those kind of things
0: Yeah that's it I guess isn't it it's, it's the equipment that is present within a punk context is ready yeah. to be walloped and beaten and sweated exactly. on exactly
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and maybe that's maybe that's what i need to uh have like maybe that's what i need to keep in mind when when i'm designing new things that this is something that's yeah gonna be like <laughs> really, <laughs> like treated really brutally so what can i do with that yeah. but i haven't found the answer yet
0: so interesting um mm. so with Luna chicks you picked. Jerk of all trades. I know you said the, the performance is really the thing that sparked it for you, but they've had a few records out. Was there a reason that you went for this one specifically?
1: I think it was just a good breakthrough. There's some songs on it that I, I really love. I, I love the song Light as a Feather. It was just this very odd thing when there's, you know, if you, if you look at the video, there's, they're like pretending that they're at this school party and you know even though you know they're like 10 years older than you you really <laughs> <laughs> identify with this and and you can see like you know it was just something as a sort of grungy teen with d- dyed hair and experimenting with different looks uh, and and things like that 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 really kind of uh, i could really relate to at the time and there's there's just all this dark like Comedy in it, um, and I think in, in the video for that song, in particular, it's yeah, it's real kind of humorous, grotesque kind of undertones throughout, which, which I really enjoyed.
0: Oh, interesting! I didn't check out any <laughs> videos in advance, actually. I'll have to go back and do that. Um, there's one song, it's got a really cool riff in it. It's the one I can't remember the name of it, but it's got a dog in the title. Sounds like a Melvin's riff or something at the beginning. <laughs> So you 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 were into you say you went to go see The Offspring as you said, and then you saw Luna Chicks playing that same show. I'm intrigued as to what other music you mentioned, like grunge, was in your orbit at this time. Punk. What other bands were really sort of firing you up during this period? <sighs>
1: I mean yeah all all the obvious ones like Nirvana (laughs) Pearl Jam and Hole I loved Courtney Love Um, and then you know it went into all this kind of what second third third wave ska stuff I mean it's it's interesting in reflection how much American music actually was kind of in my orbit Um, Hmm. but at the same time you know I was going to these kind of rock grunge clubs in Glasgow and then later Edinburgh but it was I think what I really loved was the like the range of stuff that was in there and you know you'd go one minute from like Nine Inch Nails to I don't know like Incubus to <laughs> <laughs> like to something like electro Golf, whatever it was yeah it was like a kind of just education to hip hop um, yeah a real kind of beautiful mix of stuff that wasn't just um you know sticking to one genre I think I've always enjoyed that
0: yeah nice I always remember like the euphoria of being like 18 and going with friends to more straight up clubs where you'd hear basically the same cluster of about five songs (laughs) depending you know regardless of which space (laughs) you went to and then going to somewhere that catered to that more diverse and heavier kind of thing and yeah. being like oh my gosh this is so cool to be in a room with people listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> such a treat
1: yeah and then i think like like the Glasgow club optimal you know they were more of a dance club obviously but they they really kind of built out this really wide like yeah inclusion of so many different genres as well so yeah it was good times
0: nice <laughs> <laughs> So let's go to your second record now, Lauren. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, if you give me the name of it to begin with. Yeah,
1: let's go to Andy C Nightlife 2003.
0: Nice. Wicked. So why did this one make the list?
1: Yeah, so I guess, you know, in complete contrast to this kind of identifying with the artist, like I really don't know much about... The artist that I was listening to and, and dancing to around this time, and you know, this is similar times. It's, it's crossing over maybe a little bit later than seeing the Lunachicks, maybe four or five years later. But like, I spent a lot of the early two thousands going to many techno drum and bass clubs in in Glasgow and Edinburgh, and yeah, it was it was like a education in electronic music, but not not from the perspective of of like, who is this DJ like I you know I saw loads of superstar DJs if we want to use that word um, <laughs> but I was re- <laughs> but I was much more interested in like yeah just really weird dark twisted drum and bass I mean I was going to drum and bass clubs every weekend for about a year or two um and this this album so auntie C's done a series of kind of mixed albums I think he's on his seventh now but this first one like we would just play it all the time I I remember um someone who hadn't come out with us playing it through the window of their flat while we were returning at four in the morning <laughs> the so good. and dancing to it and probably annoying a lot of people but it was, it was yeah uh, amazing and um I think yeah just just really um finding out how sound could be used to to make me move and and to make whole rooms of people move and thinking about sound in terms of electronic sound and sound that could be transformed and manipulated in so many ways and and i think it's it was more of a kind of embodied education in a sense it wasn't that i went and then tried to make drum and bass music right um but it was just having these really, really profound experiences dancing and, and feeling, and, you know, I think other people experience this, but feeling like different parts of the music and different parts of my body as I'm moving and, you know, when you're in this kind of state where it almost feels like you're creating it through your movements mm. and um, almost feels like you're kind of conducting. And I think, again, like, even though I don't make music that sounds anything like drum and bass, there's, there's definitely a kind of aesthetic in these... Like really twisted kind of manipulations of sound, these transformations has been something that I really love exploring about taking something and sort of twisting it and sculpting it and turning it and turning it into something new, and I think a lot of that came from from drama bass, from techno. So this yeah this album was like a kind of classic moment within within all this for
0: me. And were you making music around this time as well?
1: Yeah, so I think like this was overlapping with. The punk and the ska bands um as well so yeah I, I i think um you know obviously like we can see that drum and bass and ska come from like a similar limit lineage yeah um so there's you know there's definitely like a, a relationship that a story that we can draw there and all about movement and dancing and and physicality and and just thinking about it as well, what I just said about, you know, feeling the sound different parts of my body as I'm dancing. Um, you know, again, going back to this work I've done with haptics and sound and touch, you know, I've created, like, installations as well where I, I'm physically moving the sound, like, through a body, like on a chaise long for example, which I embedded with motors, that. Uh-huh. and thinking about, like, how would we feel sound through the body, you know, if we've got something where pitch is descending, does it move down from your head down to your feet? Or what would we want to feel on your head? Or what sounds could we feel on the pelvis? Does pitch, like, relate to, you know, low and high on the body? How do we think about symmetry? All these kind of things. And I think a lot of that came from from these uh, experiences of, of Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting as well because I guess it's a very communal experience within the electronic context so as we were saying that there's those stiff divides between yeah. performance and audience like there's I guess by removing the performer right you just end up with a more of a flat hierarchy within club music which means that everyone can just spill over each other in quite a uh, quite a communal way that's really cool
1: yeah and I think that's why like you know, this is a mixed album. I'm like I I'm not yeah, I'm not someone who like will go and look up every single artist or be familiar with, you know, if you ask me what like which which tracks I love, um or even, you know, when we were going to these clubs, like, yeah, I went to see like I went to see Goldie, um um, you know, we went to see like Shy Effects, which kind of was more kind of commercial drama based in a way. Uh-huh. Um and I was always but I was always interested in like, yeah, the more kind of darker stuff so I didn't necessarily even know who I was listening to but it was still so it wasn't about the identity of the artist as you say and yeah and and these really communal experiences I mean I think like you know, looking back from from the lens of twenty twenty one, like of course I look back a little bit through rose tinted rose tinted <laughs> spectacles, and yeah. you know I'm like, how well how many women DJs did I see, for right, example, and sure. and all this kind of stuff. But um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just looking back on on those kind of days with with uh, with blinkers on a little bit sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> that said, it absolutely was this, um, yeah, just communal entrainment of bodies moving and yeah it's just really exciting
0: Mm. what was it (laughs) I don't know if you can remember this or this is something you can really articulate but what was it that got you really into clubbing and going to see drum and bass like every night or every weekend like was there like a, a, a something that instigated that for you
1: I think it was just um, just friends and, and peer group. I think, um, but I think also I'm someone that's that's had friends from like many many different types of groups. So, you know, I I had all my friends from my bands, and then other friends at university. Um, there was there was so much. I was at Edinburgh University, and there was yeah, we were offered so much, so many um, concerts and and events. Um, Edinburgh at the time just had a really amazing scene. Um, so many of those venues have now been closed. It's really, really sad. Mm. Um, so there was just so much on offer. There was a venue called La Belle Angel, which was just like our, our home, and it tragically burned down. There was this huge fire in the, the um, grass market in Edinburgh. Oh, um, wow. I think it was. Yeah, that, that that burned down that venue and, and parts of the university as well. Um there were all these, you know, stories on, on why this had happened. So I think, yeah, it was just a really thriving scene at the time. Um I don't think anything more than than that and, and just um yeah, just peer groups and just just the joyousness of it.
0: <laughs> Is it still part of your life now? <laughs>
1: I wish I, I fall asleep too early. I would love to. I, I, I remember either. doing. <laughs> I remember doing a gig in Sweden years ago, and when I'd done my sound check, he um, had this lunchtime rave. It was amazing. That's oh. what I need more of.
0: <laughs> oh, amazing! Yeah.
1: Everyone was eating their sandwiches and having a dance. It was great.
0: <laughs> oh, that's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I remember going to. dj sets in like barcelona and the the door being locked when i approached at like half 10 at night and they're like no it doesn't open until 12 and i was Mm. absolutely dismayed (laughs) it's not enjoyable after that point this is no there's no point in this yeah (laughs) i'm with you um
1: but i i don't know i mean after you know after covid i'm kind of dying to get out so we'll see we'll see (laughs) yeah (laughs) maybe think maybe it'll be be a new rebirth
0: (laughs) (laughs) watch this space So, Lauren, you've got one more important record. Uh, so, yeah, if you could give me the the name of it and a bit about why this one made the list as well.
1: Yeah, so I picked Van Dyke Park's Song Cycle, this really interesting story from 1968. Um, and again, I think this is more feeding into to some ideas that I'm interested in... Um, I'm not sure when i first heard it i think uh i found out about it after hearing his work uh his arrangements on joanna newsom's ease album and um, wow you know there was this yeah do you know it
0: yeah i didn't know that that was him
1: yeah so you know this orchestral accompaniment that kind of like appears and vanishes and weaves in and out of the songs like this kind of natural process it was it was amazing so i i Um, yeah I I looked up and and listened to Song Cycle which I think has this very interesting history it was like a commercial failure it was one of the most expensive kind of like (laughs) art pop albums that had ever been made Um, but then yeah received all this like really great critical acclaim and yeah again you know Van Dyke Parts famously worked with Beach Boys I'm not a huge Beach Boys fan um There's a ton of in-jokes in this album that I don't necessarily get, but it's one of these albums that, for me, just creates a new world. I I really love um, albums and artists who can do this. He was you know somebody that was working with synths and found sounds um like he was an early adopter of synths I think um he was using tape delays echoes um and kind of there's some really interesting techniques that were used in this different effects some of it the kind of drenched in reverb and even though this is like An album that's been very intentionally composed like he went around all these different studios to create it for me it's the kind of um ideal in the sense of of what I'm interested in the ability to do through improvisation this ability to kind of Mm -hmm. weave in and out of structures to to disintegrate from a theme into something else to do it like seamlessly or maybe not seamlessly, to jump to something else. Um, no. So this kind of yeah weaving of, of different structures and forms, but also different layers of meaning in it. Um, I don't know if you know the improviser Eugene Chadbourne who does something similar to this about on a really fast timescale he sort of jumps <laughs> from these songs to like noise on guitar and, and banjo every few seconds sometimes and it's wow. a really um, interesting skill yeah it's, it's amazing to watch I saw him perform once in the UK so yeah I think this album for me just you know it creates this, this whole new world that's filled with so, so many layers of of meaning and reference but you know you don't need to be familiar with all of that to to get it or to enjoy it or for it to speak to you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What a fascinating guy. As you say, like, it's a <laughs> record that stands totally alone, I think, without that context. But... I read, I was reading about him before I got a chance to listen to it as some kind of background reading. And he's Mm. so interesting, right? Kind of just, it sounds like he spent a lot of the time kind of on the perimeter of other major music events and maybe occasionally giving them a sort of um, a nudge. You know, I read about him sort of saying to Frank Sinatra being like, oh, maybe you should record something stupid, see how that goes down and uh that kind of sparking warner brothers being like this guy's this guy's got it going on so we should probably invest in him <laughs> with a lot of money that might not go anywhere <laughs> yeah wow
1: yeah there's there's such a history to it and i think also like thinking about musical meaning there's one of my favorite books um by eric clark um is on uh it's called ways of listening it's an ecological approach to the perception of musical meaning. And it's this fascinating book that, that talks about like meaning in music not being just a subjective response to something or not just being something where you're gathering objective information from an external world, but something that we form through the process of listening and as being embodied beings in the world. And I, I think for me, this album, it's, it's interesting because... I can feel these different layers of meaning that that mean something to me despite, you know, not like not necessarily getting the wryness and the and the, the in jokes and yeah. um but still feeling the mischievousness and the the cartoonishness and you know I feel a kind of sexuality in this that that may or not be there uh, for for the composer and um you know I'm not particularly interested in like the smashing together of, of like American music that he does but right. but yeah. I think that I can feel this kind of irony and humor within it and but then that's done in in such a um you know crafted way that it that it almost uh, becomes invisible the way it flows from mm. one idea to the next I think that's that's super interesting
0: yeah I mean I think you've you've probably covered this question I'm about to ask amply, but I'm wondering if there's anything more there. I mean, it's a wonderful record and I'm listening to it for, you know, I listen to it like three times and it's great but I don't have the ability I guess to experience that record over a long period of time and understand why it may endure beyond enjoying the experience on these initial spins. What is it that keeps this record in your orbit? I mean, the you know, the fact that you've in fact, when did you discover it? Was it around the time that Ease came out by Joanna Newsom or?
1: I think so, yeah. I, I don't remember when that was. Gosh. Was it late 200s or something? Yes, yeah,
0: something like something that. Like that. Like, what, 2008 or something? Maybe something along those lines. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, what's it that's kept it there for you?
1: Yeah, I think that's like thinking about... Like there's the, there's a the musical material, there's... There's the sound events, the you know the the effects and the, uh, the the use of technology that I can hear in it. There's there's this um, concoction of of different cultural elements to it. Whether those are ones that I particularly particularly be interested or not but but the way those three kind of aspects are are enfolded to create this this new world i mean just the first time i heard it there was really like it's one of these albums you listen to and it's like nothing else you've heard and i find in a lot of of electronic or experimental music sometimes there there might be a lot of focus on on technique for example or or just the sound and i think this for me like fills in these these different areas and, and create something kind of yeah maybe bigger than, than these these different parts and with these different layers and it could you know it could be applied I guess to like regardless of genre and mm. I think I sent you like a couple of other examples of, of albums that do this but like Tierra Wax Whack Worlds, you know, similarly for me this this was like a series of one minute tracks that she released um twenty eighteen on Instagram um that you know could feature as as um, like much longer songs in themselves, but but woven together through this amazing um, video collaboration that she did, like for these one minute kind of um, vignettes, wow. it was just like create this whole world. Um, so I think yeah, this this ability when artists can do this kind of regardless of genre, I think is, is super exciting, and it it leaves so much to to dig into and, and that can endure over many years.
0: Do you have a favourite track on this one?
1: I think by The People, it starts with this like voice that suddenly sweeps up and it has these... I think it contains like all these elements that I've talked about that are
0: like, <laughs> smashed
1: together and blended and, and woven together. Um, I think that's kind of exemplary of it and how it moves through these different moods quite rapidly in places. I think that's a good one.
0: Yeah, you mentioned this as well i love how it does feel about it does feel like it's kind of you know this disintegrating and coming back it feels like it's kind of chasing his his voice and his delivery like sort of flowering Mm. out of it or he's kind of dragging along this bag of instruments you know by a piece of rope as he's enunciating and expressing (laughs) and um his voice, as well, like the um hopefully it just wasn't the bit rate of the version I listened to, but he's got this very uh you <laughs> like almost kind of semi present voice, which I think is quite bizarre in the context I think of firstly the sort of music I think he was kind of pulling from, which was you know he was massively into pet sounds, and the voices are very upfront yeah. on that record, but he goes for something that's. Yeah almost half displaced it's really strange isn't it
1: yeah that's it's kind of interesting as well that you say that because that's some some uh something i've been thinking about in, in my use of work uh use of the voice in my own work as well is thinking about you know i use the voice as like as a as a sound source that i i chop up and manipulate in very various ways but it's it's never the prominent feature in what I'm doing and yeah maybe there's something that I that I relate to in that um because it's yeah mm, it certainly yeah. doesn't sound like a kind of singer songwriter album um no. song cycle for sure the voice is being used as this kind of narrator in a sense a kind of guide I suppose mm.
0: Mm. So speaking of the voice actually on Embrace the snippets of the voice are awesome but they just come in on i'm trying to think like most prominently i guess on the first and last pieces on that record how did they come to be within the context of embrace was that stuff from like the original improvisation or yeah how did that get into the mix
1: yeah so there, you know i work a lot with vocal utterances that go through voice processor, and then they're going through various transformations in, in max msp the software that i use so I think in this case, because you know, typically in my improvisation they will they will get yeah, chopped up and extended and stretched out and all this kind of stuff and rearranged, but working with these these um machine learning techniques, there was it was really interesting to hear some of the kind of matching and combinations that it was throwing up and yeah. and also the way I was doing it. It was just producing these really interesting uh, rhythmic combinations of material. Um that I wouldn't have done otherwise. I think that's always the most exciting thing for me when I, you know, I arrive at something that I, I haven't conceived of beforehand. That I just play out while I'm doing it. Uh-huh. I, I think though I'm always trying to think about how to, how to fold in the voice in a more embodied way um, into what I'm doing. It's a continual, it's a continual exploration because, because a lot of software came from. Um, software techniques that I use came from actually uh, the piano and prepared piano so a lot of what I'm doing is listening for transients or sharp onsets of the sound like like as, mm. as if you press a piano key so Hi. in a sense to kind of activate different processes I have to kind of emulate some of that in my voice and of course there's many ways to use the voice that, that don't require that so um yeah it's like how the software is shaped by the body and the instruments that I use it in combination with. I think it's interesting, but it's yeah, it's a continual exploration to think about the voice being more embodied rather than just a source of of sonic material
0: awesome um I've got one more mm-hmm. question for you, Lauren, which is a reflection on the albums that you've picked here. If you were to listen to a record maybe one of these important records maybe just a record that you want to listen to is there like an optimal environment place time that you take to listen most intensely or is it wherever you happen to be what's that like
1: right now my favorite place to listen is out in the desert I have a a secret spot near a town called Cottonwood in Arizona and I'm on a hill and there's Cactuses everywhere, and I can look out onto these red rocks. Usually around sunsets, and not really an audiophile, so I've just got my portable Bluetooth speakers. But this is this is my current favorite place to to listen at the moment. I can't see another person in sight. It's just very remote and very very beautiful, and. Uh, yeah that's 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 where i'm doing a lot of my listening uh, whenever i can get there
0: yeah that would be my favorite too that sounds unreal that's so good <laughs> it's a very unique Arizonian answer yeah. i guess to that question um <laughs> that's great well lauren thank you so much for talking through these records talking through your music as well um it's been a lot of fun
1: thank you so much it's been great
0: Thank you. And to everyone listening, see you next time. Goodbye.